0: Good morning church, it's great to be with you wherever you are. Um, I'm excited to share the message that I have with you this morning. It's been on my heart for a while, but hey, We just finished our 21 days of prayer and fasting. So congratulations. Uh, Every year I usually do a liquid fast of some sort. So today would typically be the Sunday that I go out and indulge in some crazy celebration meal. Uh, I have learned a few things over the years, such as uh, pizza or butter croissants. Not a good first solid food after not eating for a week. Um, So just some free wisdom for you there. But alas, I didn't actually fast food. Uh, this time due to my unborn child not giving consent for that. So I fasted some other things. But just for the record, uh, I am definitely willing to go on a large celebration meal again, even though I will likely regret it as every other year. But anyways, I'm not sure um, what your experience has been uh, during the last 21 days, but I would love to know. Uh, so again, as Pastor Kim said, drop it in the chat or email it to us at info at c3church.ca. Uh, there are few things I find more life-giving than hearing stories of the real ways that God has been moving and showing up in people's lives. And prayers have been getting answered, and people have felt more connected to God, and some people have just been excited because their prayer life has finally been kick-started. And so I hope that's been the case for you. Um, I've also talked to some people, though, who... Although the last few weeks have been fine, they maybe weren't as uh, miraculous as they were hoping for, that they were believing and praying for some specific things and hoping for some specific things that haven't been answered, at least not yet. And it really got me thinking about this concept of hope, this concept of hope. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are a people of hope. Ephesians 1.8 says that I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. So hope is something we are called to. Something we are to live in, experience and share. Especially during times when the communities or the people around us are struggling or going through difficult seasons. Uh, but there is one verse on hope that if you're in the middle of a more disappointing phase, you might find particularly problematic. And it's Romans 5.5. It's written by Paul, an early Christian influencer. And he wrote that hope does not disappoint us. Hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You know, some versions say that hope will not put us to shame or that hope will not embarrass us. I mean, what a claim, hope does not disappoint us. And maybe this verse rings true to you. Maybe after three weeks of prayer and a week of fasting, you're feeling more hopeful than ever before. I'm definitely feeling a boost in my spirit. But maybe you're uh, in the category of, actually that verse makes no sense and I cannot reconcile it with my current experience. So what does that imply? If you're feeling that way or if I'm feeling that way, are are we doing hope wrong? Is our faith broken? Was Paul exaggerating in his statement? What do we do if the people around us just are getting tired of hoping? What if we are feeling like, you know, I don't really know if I want to be continually getting my hopes up anymore? And so without further ado, the title for my message this morning is When Hope Doesn't Work when hope doesn't work. Would you join me? I'm just gonna quickly pray before we go further. God, I just love you so much, and I love your word, and I love that we have the opportunity to seek out your teachings and what they mean and how they can impact our lives today. And I ask God that your truth, that the things that you have to say, the things you want communicated will be effectively heard, that will be received by the people that you want to hear them this morning. We love you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So it's uh, 2021 now. And I think if I wanted to, um, say, focus on the negative, not actually something we encourage, but if I wanted to focus on the negative, I think I could sum up the year 2020 as the year of had hoped, past tense, how many people had hoped for some things or had hoped for a lot of things that didn't exactly come to pass? 2020 aside, I'm sure that you've uh, been in a situation where you've believed and prayed and pep-talked yourself for a result that never came. You know, Maybe you thought you'd be married by now. Maybe you thought there would be a restoration in a relationship with a child by now. Maybe you thought you'd be healed by now. Maybe you thought you'd be out of debt or super skinny or super ripped. <laughs> I uh, I know for me that I have uh, been in some darker situations in my life and someone with really good intentions and a good heart, they'd say something like, you know, when God closes a door, he opens a window. And to be honest, all I can think of is things like, mm-hmm, yes. And when he opens that window, it's gonna push you right through it. But, uh, there is this beautiful perspective in Proverbs 13:12, and it says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Or hope disappointed makes the soul sad. Now that I can relate to. In a world where we've been let down, when we have become disappointed or our heart feels sick, hope can actually feel dangerous. Like hope can actually feel like something you want to avoid because it makes you susceptible to pain. And so, although the Bible is really nice by throwing this in here, that, you know, yeah, when you're when hope's disappointed, it's like your soul is sick. If you keep reading, the Bible also keeps talking about how key it is to keep on hoping. Over and over it tells us to keep on hoping. And so maybe you're like me and you're like, sorry, so what do we are these which one do I go for here? Are these contradictory? Even, uh, even in the media or just in, in casual conversations, me, very guilty of this, especially in the last year, you'll hear phrases like, just hoping for the best. You know, you hope for the best, I'll hope for the best. We'll all hope for the best. But by dictionary definition, hope is simply a desire for a certain outcome to happen. So if that is the case, when did hoping for the best actually do anything for me? How is you telling me to hope for the best actually going to get me out of the mess I'm in? Because I personally think a large wad of cash would be helpful in getting me out of the mess I'm in. Uh, In the verse, but yet in the verse we opened with, Romans 5, 5, it says quite clearly that hope will not lead to disappointment. So here's the thing. The Bible doesn't actually teach that there is power merely in how hard we hope or how hard we desire for something to happen. The power of hope isn't in the intensity of hope, right? Gabriel and his angel crew, they're not in heaven right now assessing our our hope levels or being like, hey, Kimberly is wishing super hard that, you know, she could star in the next Wonder Woman or she could be in NBA basketball, that's never been a hope of mine. But they're not assessing my hope levels and being like, oh, she is is really wishing for that thing. We should just go ahead and grant her that wish. Come on, God, her wish scales are high. And speaking of when I was looking um, into the differences between hoping and wishing, uh, the theme I found often was that wishing was more of a passive situation, like an ideal thought you have and don't really actually do much with. But hope actually always involves this element of trust. Hope requires an element of trust. And I believe it was Napoleon who once said that uh, leaders are dealers of hope. So if that is the case, right, if a leader is causing you to hope, it's because you are trusting in something they are saying or doing. So if hope requires that we trust in something or someone, then hope is only as powerful as who or what we are putting it in. Hope is only as powerful as that which it is connected to. Again, biblical hope is never a standalone. It's never isolated. It's not a separate force or separate entity. It is always connected to something. So this implies that when our hope is connected to imperfect things, such as the government or a medical system or a human relationship, when our hope is connected to things susceptible to failure, then hope will inevitably dis- be disappointed at some point. Hopefully not that often, hopefully, <laughs> I'm sorry. OK. Um, <laughs> I yes, not that often, but sometimes. However, however, if we directly connect our hope to something that is unchanging, to something that is perfect, to something that is infallible, perhaps we find a clue to discovering a hope that does not let us down. And the Christian faith, it proclaims that we do have access to someone who is perfect. We believe that God himself came to earth in the form of a human, Jesus Christ to show us a better way to live, to empower us to do more than we could do on our own, to forgive us of our sins and make up for where we've come short, and to pave a way for us to live eternally by defeating death. (laughs) And Jesus Christ, he does promise that one day our pain will be healed, that all that is broken will be fixed, that there'll be restoration, that there'll be justice, and that all that is confusing will become clear. First Timothy 4.10 says, This is why we work hard and continue to struggle. For our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, particularly of believers. So here's the key that I know I miss all the time in my life. What we are hoping for should always be second to who we are hoping in. So think about your own situations that you find yourself in right now. Are you hoping for something more than you are hoping in someone? Because if we start to shift our mindset, even this morning, if we start to focus and put our energy into hoping in Jesus, more than hoping for something, then it finally starts to make sense when Paul says that hope will not lead to disappointment because Jesus will not lead to disappointment. There's a famous king um, in the Bible, Solomon, and he said, what is my hope if not in you alone? See, hoping for something is fragile. Hoping in Jesus is not. Right? Hoping uh, for something, we can get very specific about the things we we're hoping for, but our faith is all about hoping in a specific person right? Our faith is in the source of things hoped for. The concept of Christianity is all about whom we are believing in, not what we're hoping for. So even when the what's let us down, the whom never will. And just to be clear, I am not in any way implying that we don't hope in each other or scale back our hope. No, I'm actually trying to empower us to do more of that. We need more people to hope. We need more people to dream. If one day we can get together and go for coffee or something like that, I will be cheering you on in your hopes and dreams. Proverbs 23, seven says, for as a person thinks in his heart, so is he. So we've got to hope to set ourselves up for good things to happen. I'm hoping for a healthy delivery. I'm hoping um, to travel Europe one day. I'm hoping that my children will grow up in a life of love and adventure. But even if I'm disappointed, even if some of these secondary things don't come to pass, even if some of my hopes end up crushing me, I know I can recover. I know I can withstand that disappointment because my primary hope is guaranteed not to fail. Because I'm hoping for someone, I'm hoping in someone more than I'm hoping for something. Right? God promises he will work things out together for good for all those who love him. Right? Truth and light will be victorious. Jesus wins. And the truth of who Jesus is, is not shaken, no matter what particular situation doesn't turn out, how big or small that is. And maybe as you're hearing this, you're, you're still not quite sure. You're thinking, not true, Kimberly. I feel like there's been times that I have hoped solely in who Jesus was, but he didn't come through. In fact, it seemed like my hope in who he was failed me. Well, you're not alone in that thinking. And the Bible is actually full of people who had hoped for things in Jesus that didn't play out how they anticipated. And they thought that their circumstances had concluded, and they thought that Jesus had failed them. Now, consider the story of Lazarus. He was a good friend of Jesus, and he became terminally ill. And so his sisters sent a message asking Jesus to come quickly because they believed in him. They believed that he could heal Lazarus. But much to their dismay, Jesus appeared to lollygag a bit <laughs> to take his time. And by the time Jesus got there, Lazarus had died. And his sisters were deeply upset. Their, their hope had been deferred. You know, Lazarus is dead, the end. But the story wasn't actually over yet. And Jesus prayed to God and he commanded that Lazarus come out of the tomb, and he did. Lazarus was raised from the dead. And it's interesting because now the story wasn't just about Jesus healing Lazarus, it was about Jesus raising someone from the dead. It was one of the most you know, unforeseen, unpredictable line of events. And in this story, if you read it in John something, Um, Jesus says to his sisters, oh, thank you, crew, media crew. He says, I am the resurrection and the life, and anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. So what does that mean? That not even death is an indicator that our hope in Jesus Christ has been lost. You know, I often think about the hope in Jesus that the disciples must have had on Palm Sunday. It's the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem and the Jews were ecstatic because they thought that Jesus was going to lead them to a political revolution, to a physical uh, victory, that they're going to be free from national Roman rule. And I don't blame them for thinking Jesus was the guy. I mean, he's walked on water. He's performed miracles. Like if anyone is going to, lead you in a revolution. Jesus seems like a good option. So can you imagine the disappointment they must have felt when Jesus was hanging on the cross, dying the death of a criminal? <laughs> we, we had thought Jesus was the one to redeem us, but now Jesus is dead, and we're still oppressed. Like, can you imagine how embarrassed they must have felt like they had given up their livelihoods, their reputations to follow Jesus. Like I'm sure they were hearing some I told you so's. Like I told you not to leave your job at the fishery. Or I told you not to associate with a guy with such outlandish claims. Right? they must have felt shame. They must have felt embarrassed. But what they thought was the end was not the end. What they thought was Jesus failing them was merely a step to fulfillment of a much greater answer to prayer. Much more than a temporary political revolution, Jesus was restoring and fixing the broken relationship between God and man forever. And the work that the disciples would do as a result of the resurrection would be monumental in founding the Christian faith and would have impact that would last for thousands of years, including today. Right? Sometimes if we were to receive the specific thing we are hoping for, we would actually be shortchanging ourselves from an even greater blessing that God has for us. And I think that's the problem with circumstantial hope, with hoping in circumstances, is we don't actually know what the perfect circumstance is. We can't see that far ahead. Our perspective isn't Um, as wide, as broad, as great as God's is. Sometimes to um, remind myself of this, I think of something that's a little bit silly, but I think of how devastated I was when some of my pre-Josiah crushes didn't amalgamate to anything, how sad I was. And now when I think back at the thought of any of those relationships I wanted working out, like I, I actually get nauseated. I actually shudder. Like what if those had worked out? What if I didn't have the marriage I have now and the kids I have now or wasn't part of the church I have now because I didn't see the bigger picture? And there is a story being played out that is far bigger than any of our isolated individual stories. And only God can fully see it. And this bigger story, it doesn't in any way invalidate our individual stories. It doesn't evaluate the very real pain you are experiencing or going through, but it actually gives it meaning because we see our stories in the context of the grander scheme, the grander thing that God is doing. Listen, today, if the situation you find yourself in is not good, If God's promises in your life have not been fulfilled, then God's not done yet. Sometimes it's hard for us to see him tangibly moving, but he is always working behind the scenes. And if you and I can hold up our, our hopes in the what's, our desires, our dreams, and our disappointments, if we can hold those up in light of who Jesus is, what he is doing now, and what he promises he will accomplish, that we will not be paralyzed or shaken or unable to recover from the discouragement in our life. Hebrews 10:23 says, Let's hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, because the one who made the promises is reliable. Right? What we're hoping for is not ultimately reliable, but who we are hoping in is. So back to the beginning. No, how is you telling me to hope for the best actually going to get me out of this mess? Well, it's, it's not. Hope on its own is not guaranteed to do anything. But you telling me to put my hope in Jesus? Well, that will get me out of this mess. Because the power of our hope is not what we are hoping for. It is who we are hoping in. So as I'm about to close, I'm going to read this one verse to you. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. Jesus is our living hope is who or what you are hoping in greater than what you are hoping for and listen today if you are um, watching or listening to this message and you don't know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus you don't want it, you don't know what it means to have Jesus as your living hope as your guaranteed hope it would be my honor and my privilege to introduce you to Jesus today You know, the Bible requires very few things for us to become a follower of Christ. All we have to do is believe that Jesus is who he said he was and that what he did, that by dying on the cross, he he took the punishment for all the things we've done wrong and that was enough. To follow him, it's not just a choice we would make right now, but it's a choice we make every day. But that minute we decide to acknowledge him as the leader of our life, everything changes. He empowers us to do things we could not do before. So today, if you would like to become a follower of Jesus, I'm actually just going to ask you to raise your hand on the count of three. I can't see you. <laughs> I know this might feel a little awkward, but it's just a symbol. It's just something to... Uh, a physical action to represent a decision you're making internally. So if you would like to become a follower of Jesus this morning, just raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Awesome. Amazing. There's going to be a resource for you to connect to once you make this decision. But first, I would love it if you would join me in this prayer. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for coming to earth, for showing us a better way to live. We thank you for dying on the cross, wiping our slate clean. And today, today we choose to follow you. Thank you for inviting me into your family. Be with me always. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, church.